Leadership in law to me means really clear communication and collaboration. And that goes for your relationship with your clients who are paramount. They are the number one stakeholder, lest we forget. We should never forget that. And then also, of course, working with your team as well as with your adversary. And when I say all stakeholders, I mean lawyers on both sides of the V, clients, employees, judges, arbitrators, clerks. I could go on. One of the things that I am very focused on is that we are human beings. We are not machines. If we can't have a sense of empathy when somebody says, oh my gosh, this happened to me. Can I have an extra day? And getting a no, I don't know what world we're trying to build. I find coming at things graciously tends to be much more favorable in terms of the results you're trying to achieve. Welcome to Lawyers Who Lead, a podcast that challenges the notion that the law lags behind. I'm your host, Seagal Barnes. Each week, I invite a lawyer who's making powerful changes through extraordinary leadership. In each episode, we'll travel through another lawyer's life, identify what they do best, and then devise how to apply these concepts to your own world. So let's get to it. Welcome to Lawyers Who Lead. I'm your host, Seagal Barnes. We have with us today a highly respected litigator with 30 years of experience in advocating for consumers and investors against corporate fraud and abuse. She is recognized as one of the nation's leading authorities on electronic discovery and is the only plaintiff's lawyer to be ranked repeatedly as a band one e-discovery practitioner by Chambers and Partners. In 2017, United States Supreme Court Chief Justice Roberts appointed her to serve on the Federal Civil Rules Advisory Committee, and in December 2020, he renewed her appointment to serve a second term. She is also an author and speaker and regularly teaches practical skills to prepare law students for real-life practice, as well as tips and tools for leadership, entrepreneurship, and business management. Please welcome our next lawyer who leads, Ariana Tadler. Ariana, welcome to the show. Thank you, Seagal. I'm thrilled to be here. Of course. So I am not sure if you're aware, but I start every single podcast with a little bit of gratitude. So if you can tell me what is your favorite moment that happened so far today? Uh, I think it would be dual fold in that I always start my day with um, a prayer. I'm a faithful person. And so it's really key to anchoring me. And then today happens to be a Monday. And so on Mondays, I do a meditation program with a bunch of trial lawyers. We've been doing it since the beginning of COVID. It's run by a very well-known lawyer and jury expert. Her name is Lisa Blue, and we do it every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern. And that just happened right before you and I are speaking today. And it was really spectacular. I love that you do that. And I also love the image of a bunch of trial lawyers together meditating. I don't think that's something that we would have thought would be a reality even five years ago. 100%. And I think one of the most significant things as to why this particular program works for this crowd of trial lawyers is the fact that Lisa has been very deliberate in focusing on the science. So as trial lawyers, we need facts. We need specifics. Why does something work? And so she layers throughout the half hour real data points to show why meditation works and how it can help you 
of course, be a better lawyer, more significantly be a better person all around. And she's very focused, of course, on the concept of mindfulness, which is something that I have been studying for the last, I would say, probably year and a half. And right now I'm really focused on a woman, Mitra Manesh, who's at UCLA. I just finished a mindfulness program called Attentionism, and it's being an intentional attentionist. What does that mean, intentional attentionist? So conceptually, we have a choice. We can live our lives as survivalists where everything is binary and it's like a flee or fight concept. And we think about that sometimes in only the most stressful of moments. However, some people, and I'll put myself in that category, get yourself into a rhythm that you're living as a survivalist at all moments. And it's yes or no, black or white, go, stop. And instead, she teaches us to take a pause, zoom out in whatever the situation is. It could be for work. It could be at home. could be with a significant other, children. And you're so close to it that all you see is something binary. However, if you can live in the pause, whatever length of pause that is, and imagine yourself zooming out and now looking back at that situation, you have a much broader landscape to look at. And I've lived my life for a long time, including particularly since I launched my firm in 2019. I strive to be responsive, not to be reactive. And in many ways, you have to pause to be responsive. Also, I'm very focused on a word that I have coined now on a lot of my speaking engagements is connectivity. I don't want to just be talking at you nor do I want you talking at me. I want to make sure that I'm hearing you. What are you actually trying to tell me? And to be a good lawyer, we need to be really good listeners. And we have a responsibility to communicate clearly, especially to our clients. The client is paramount. And if a client doesn't understand what you are trying to tell them or guide them in terms of next steps or manage expectations. I always want to manage expectations for those that I'm working with. To just circle back to the listening, in order to manage expectations, you have to understand what their expectations are, right? (laughs) And also being a good listener requires a good sense of awareness of the moment, um, being able to properly advise means zooming out, taking a pause and really assessing the situation. So it's it's interesting as you were talking about not only your gratitude, but all of these other things that you're doing, I can already see how it's translating into your legal work. Well, good. That means I communicated really well. You <laughs> so I'm glad you, I'm glad you received it that way. I can give you a tangible example. At Tadler Law, we've really continued to diversify our practice. And I started out really being a very well-known class action and complex litigation lawyer, very high profile cases. And I do those cases and I love them. And over the last almost four years, we've now had clients come to us with one-off. Sometimes they're, you know, small businesses or business people come to us with a contractual dispute. And we had a recent situation where some clients came to us and said, okay, this is the case we want to file. This is how we want to go. 
And I said, well, that sounds like you know where you want to go and what you want to do. I'm not there yet. I need to ask a lot of questions and I need to do some research and analysis. I need to do that before I would even commit to litigating the way in which you want to go. And as a result, we have now really changed up our model of how we put our cases together economically. So sometimes we bifurcate cases. Sometimes we'll take on a retention and say, we will do the research and analysis for a case and we will give you answers as to what are the potential colorable claims and what do we think the likelihood of success will be that's step one and then step two if you like the risk reward analysis and you think the risk is worth taking then we can have a different discussion about whether you want to retain us to pursue that next step of litigating arbitrating negotiating hard whatever that is and I feel like that's a complete reflection of this sense of communication, because I think people get in their head, I'm going to a lawyer and I expect the lawyer to do this. And in my mind, a really good lawyer sits back and says, okay, I don't know that I can say I can do that yet because I haven't looked at the law. I haven't heard all of your facts. I haven't double checked your facts against some other sources. And that's where I really enjoy the holistic practice of law complemented by being a business person, an entrepreneur, and then add on all the other wonderful things like wife, mother, sister, daughter, friend, mentor, sponsor, ally, especially for women. And especially when it comes to women empowerment, which is absolutely key for my own way to thrive. I love so many things that you just said. We'll start at the very end. You have made it very clear that you are not just one identity, that your identity is not just a lawyer, that you're a business person, a mother, a friend, an advocate, an ally. One of the most important things that I've seen, especially since COVID started, is a huge awareness around my identity is many things. It is important to diversify our identity. It's really wonderful to hear you say that and to see you doing that. So that's one. The other thing that I thought was really interesting is this idea of bifurcation of these cases. I was curious, is this common? Because I actually haven't heard anyone really kind of communicate it in that way. And if it's so uncommon, how did you go about figuring that out? So I don't think it's common. It is the result of a lot of creative thinking on my part and my partner's part where we obviously had time during COVID to think about how might we do things differently. And then when things found their rhythm, we started doing a lot of cultural work at the firm because we were fundamentally concerned about every person on the team. We wanted to make sure that we were focused on wellness. We were focused on making sure that people were not simply living in their homes and waking up however early in the morning and just sitting at their computer all day and all night and not taking a break. And so we brought in several consultants to help over the last now four years. We're still doing the work. And while we were doing that, that's where the creativity came out about how are we serving our clients? How are we going to distinguish ourselves? If we want to diversify, why would they want to come to us? 
And we started talking about the fact that traditionally the practice of law is, you know, the billable hour. Well, traditionally for myself and my colleagues, it has not been the billable hour. I have spent the majority of my practice being a contingent lawyer, being paid only through some kind of successful resolution, whether trial, settlement, et cetera. And as we started to diversify and there were clients who said, no, 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 we're interested in doing more of a traditional approach. We said, okay, but sometimes that doesn't really work for us because there might be a better upside in a big contingent matter than in this kind of matter for us to take. And so we started building out hybrid economic models, looking at the client, what are the client's needs? How can we help? And that's a big question you'll often hear from me. How can I help? What can I do? And so this concept of bifurcation was a further nuance of project fee, hourly billing, or contingent. Suddenly it was like, well, wait a minute, somebody's bringing me a case. I don't know that case. Like I might know how to do other cases again and again and again. I want to make sure that I'm the right person to serve this client or these clients. I'm an honest broker. And if I'm going to be an honest broker, I'm going to say, you're very passionate about your set of facts and what you believe the claim is. The claim that you want to pursue is a really tough claim. And the only way I can tell you if that claim is worthy of pursuit is if I and my team dig in and look at it. And I don't want to give you a mismanaged expectation that because I'm doing this work on this kind of fee model, that I am necessarily going to pursue that claim. I may end up telling you, yeah, I think you have a colorable claim. I don't think it's winnable. And therefore I'm not inclined to pursue it for you. I will give you what you need, might even send you to another lawyer. In contrast, I may do the work and say, yeah, I think there's something here. We're prepared to do it. But by the way, if you want to retain us, the second part, that bifurcation, when we go on to take on the pursuit of that claim or those claims, different fee model, we're changing it up. And maybe there is going to have to be a premium for what we're going to do, because this is risky and we're a small and mighty firm. I don't have a hundred lawyers and staff behind me. If we choose to do this case, we're foregoing other cases where we know what the likelihood of success is and we can forecast and project dollars. So if I'm going to forego that opportunity, I need to make sure I'm coming up with an economic model on the second piece that works for us. Again, small and mighty, how are we going to do this that it makes sense for us so that we can serve you? So I'm going to come from like a client perspective because I'm very curious how this works and I'd love to dig in more. So as a client, if I come in and I have this case, are you telling me like, look, we're going to do the research that's required and this is the fee to do that research? We'll be providing you this information. You can make a decision based on this advice and you can either stay or go, depending on whether you want to take the case. So that's the first part, right? Conceptually, yes. Okay. And so let's say the client is like, you know what, um, don't want to move forward based on this assessment. They still have the work product for that. They can take that, let's say, think about it, maybe bring it to another lawyer and get a second opinion. But at least they have this work product. Right. That's really fascinating because it's an actual, I'm assuming, a written documentation of the risk assessments. 
Sometimes yes and sometimes no. So I can think of a more recent one where that was the contemplation. And ultimately, after, we, we always do a preliminary share. We say, okay, we've completed the research. This is where we believe we are. Because it's really important to have the conversation without the written response, in my experience. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes it prompts the client all of a sudden to say, oh, but I forgot to tell you this. Right. And you're sitting there thinking, gosh, I wish I had known that before. Now I do know it, it alters or might alter our analysis. We need to look at that again. And then we have to ask the client, we believe that fact is an important one. Do you want us to spend more time? It's gonna cost you more money. We're still in the research and analysis phase. And if the answer is yes, we start, you know, again, continuing with that process. Sometimes we suddenly have a change up in what our uh, analysis is and the client says, you know what, I need us to move forward. You've shared with us what your gut is. We're inclined to retain you. We don't have the work product yet from you. Are you willing to go forward? And if the answer is yes, well, we're not going to waste time now finalizing and perfecting a research memo we're going to start drafting a pleading or doing whatever needs to be done. And then we proceed from there. And we've been fortunate that it's, it's actually worked really well for matters that do proceed. And even for matters where we say to somebody, you know, we've done the research, we regret to tell you, we just don't think this is one that makes sense for us. And the client is going to make a decision in my experience You know, it might be a tough day to hear what we're saying. Again, coming full circle for our discussion, Seagal, it's about communicating, right? And so if I'm going to say this is a no-go for us, I come back to, so we first met on such and such a day. These are the things you shared with us. These are the things that we looked at. We've looked at the law under this law, under this state, under this jurisdiction, Our sense is this, that, and the other thing. We regret that it's not us to move forward with you. We can be resourceful to you in the future should you decide to proceed. And if you decide you're not going to proceed, we understand that too. And I have found, particularly in the last six months, clients saying to me, I've never had a lawyer speak to me this way before. I haven't heard of it. And I love the intentionality on your end to say, I need to better understand the clients that I can best serve. And I'm going to do that in a way that is ultimately putting the client's best interests in mind by making sure that they understand why I can or cannot move forward. Being super honest and transparent about that really would evoke a lot of respect. Well, thank you. I do it because a core value for me is that intention and impact are aligned. And if somebody receives a message from me, if throughout the communication, what they end up hearing is she is or her firm is not going to help me. It's not out of some sense of, oh, they're not going to help me. It's, wow, she really explained to me or her partner really explained to me why it is they don't see this. I got a call right before you and I got on today from somebody who has a very small claim compared to the size of claims that we do. 
And I knew right away from the first two sentences, I knew that this was not going to be a matter that we would take. I still spent seven minutes on the phone or six minutes on the phone. And I asked this person, please tell me why you're calling. How can I help? Asking some additional questions to better understand their financial circumstances. This is not something that we're inclined to take because the matter is just not large enough given who we are and what we do. If I may, would it be okay if I gave you somebody else to call? I gave her the person's name to call and I said, and please use my name. I have no expectation. I just think that it will help you if you make that call and somebody hopefully will answer you. And that again, it comes back to this human sense of connectivity, communication, understanding. I don't want to practice law, nor do I want to live my life in a binary way. I want to live my life knowing that every day I did my best. That's really beautiful. Thank you. I love that as a value, as a mission, as something to tell yourself every single day to remind yourself of who you are. It's a beautiful mantra, truly. Here's another one for you. This was part of the mindfulness program, the meditation this morning. I'm not going to share whatever my full thoughts are about the person whose quote this is, because I think we, we can all have our historical thoughts. There's a quote. It happens to be per the slide that I saw from Theodore Roosevelt, comparison is the thief of joy. I don't compare myself to others anymore. I did. I've been practicing law for over 30 years. I spent a lot of time looking right and left and worrying and having anxiety. And in addition to practicing law, as we started out, who am I? I'm not one thing, right? And now my children are full grown. I call them my boy men. Um, <laughs> I have two sons, my boy men, um, they, they are, they are matriculated. And when they were younger, there were decisions that I absolutely made in survivalist mode. There were decisions that I know that colleagues of mine, friends of mine, peers within the same employment structure did not understand, didn't like, had judgment. And I look back at that now and I think to myself, I'm sorry if that decision impacted you in a way that did not feel good to you. It was in no way intentional to hurt you. I was living a life where a lot of things were happening at one time. There was a lot of chaos and I had to make decisions in survivalist mode. And thank God we all survived. As someone who feels like they're in survivalist mode with a four-year-old, a five-year-old, a full-time job, all the things that are going on, traveling, still COVID, everything that's going on, um, what is some advice that you would give to someone who has a lot going on right now and wants to kind of get out of survivalist mode and being responsive versus reactive? So there are several things I can share with you that continue to be part of my learning journey. As I said, I'm doing the work now learning about mindfulness. Mitra Manesh, she has a podcast. You can listen to her 17 minutes, 20 minutes. They're wonderful. I think it's called Lights Out. In addition, really taking the time to block time for the things that are important to you. Full disclosure, I have not mastered this. I am literally a work in progress. I listened to something during a program where the recommendation was find 
and rely on your accomplices. Now, as lawyers, we don't like the word accomplice. That's not a fair, <laughs> positive, favorable word. What I am looking for are who are the people in my tribe and they are not only within your family structure, they are not only your quote friends, they could be people that you've met along the way and somehow you can create a relationship with them that allows for a sense of accountability and responsibility. So I am working now on with one friend who also works tirelessly and crazy hours, et cetera. She happens to be my best friend for life, working with her to support one another and say, you know what, today is not a day that we want to suppress ourselves in work. Today is a day. It is beautiful. Can we take one hour and do something together? Or even if not together, will you do this if I do that? And can we come back and talk about it? One of the key things that I'm very much committed to is mentorship and sponsorship. So my EA is actually a 2022 college graduate who decided to take a gap year before law school. And I saw this as an opportunity for somebody who's really smart and knows a lot of software and a lot of hacks that could help somebody given where I am in my career and where the rest of the firm is, and also to show him things that he might not otherwise learn to prepare him for law school in the practice of law. And he is absolutely part of that tribe. I get messages from him, Seagal, every single morning. It's got my to-do list. And on his own, I never suggested that he do this. He ends his list with some kind of affirmation about what the day is going to be like. This is a recent college graduate, right? I mean, these are the kinds of things that we need to do for one another. We need to support one another. We need to validate one another. My EA just recently put in my calendar what he calls 30-minute buffers. Because how many times, Seagal, have you looked your calendar and you said, oh yeah, this is good. I, I put on a nine and a 10.30 and a 12.30 and somehow they all run into each other. You took no bio breaks and I mean any type of bio break that cannot possibly allow you to be your best self. I agree 100%. It is something that I've worked on is those buffers both in between meetings within a day, but also in a week. Like I look at the week, I zoom out, I look at the week and I go, how much do I want to actually do this week? And what does that leave me afterwards for myself, for my children, for my guitar playing, like whatever it is. And I try to stick to that. Sometimes I let someone in and they take up some of that time, but I do try to maintain those boundaries as much as possible. Yes, absolutely. And I will say I've been really, really fortunate. I've been married to my husband for 30 plus years. We've been together for 35 plus years. He is an absolute joy in my life. I would also say to you that my children are my life. Even now they're in their twenties. They bring me such great joy. So what do you do with your children? What are some things that you do Seagal with your children that you feel gives you real quality with them? I get to answer a question. This is very yes, exciting. Please, please. Um, I love I love to read to them, but also we like to create stories together. So sometimes we read a book and sometimes we just 
make up stories as we go together. And then also we love taking walks and going to the park as well. Beautiful. So all of those things are time together. There's listening, there's sharing. So one of the things that has become so critically important for me to learn to do, right? We've just spent a good portion of your program today talking about how communication and connectivity and understanding is so important to me. I've had to learn to listen to my children. Sometimes they tell me things and they're not looking for me to say, well, this is what you need to do. This is how you do this. This is who you call. Sometimes all they want to hear is, I understand. How can I help? What can I do? Right. And putting the power in their hands to, to direct how they want that conversation to go or that interaction to go. I'm assuming you also do this with your employees then. So yes, you know, my partner and I in building the firm, we have doubled down in how can we make our firm be not simply a place of employment, but be a place that feels inclusive, be a place that is encouraging each person to thrive in the places where they are best positioned to thrive. And in those places where maybe they are lacking Maybe they've never learned something. Maybe it's a skill they're just not particularly strong at. How can we zoom out and say, is this something this person can learn, wants to learn, and will they thrive if they learn it? Because before we say, I can solve for that, we want to ask those questions. And sometimes we do it directly. Sometimes we use a facilitator. Because why should anybody be wasting time money, heartbreak on either side of the V of that relationship, if it's actually not going to work. Some people, that's just not going to work for them. And maybe even if the answers are all yes, 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 is it going to work for us? Are we capable of teaching? Are we capable of giving the resources? Are we capable of giving the attention that now we've just put this out on? And if we're not, then we need to be honest and say, we really think you need to improve in this area. This is not a place that we think we can help you improve because of blah, blah, blah. Is this something that you want to do? Maybe you go outside. Maybe we can give you some direction. Or sometimes people are looking for things and we say, we're just not the place for you. It's not personal. And honesty is the most important thing for both parties because oftentimes people who try to kind of get somebody to do a specific thing that is not in their skill set and they're not able to accommodate the lack of that skill set. So they'll try to do all of these other things and they dance around the subject. And in the process, that person is feeling perhaps all of this tension. They're feeling like a failure. And really the best thing to do for that person is to say, listen, this isn't working out. And like giving them the time and the space to find the opportunity that works best for them. People, a lot of times when they worry about conflict or they worry about hurting someone's feelings, it gets all jumbled up and they're unable to see that that other party is also not benefiting by dragging these kind of things out. I also like how you have different vehicles to have these conversations, whether that's one-on-one -on -one or using a facilitator, being proactive about that creates a hardworking, efficient, loyal, and overall caring culture. And I think that honesty is caring. Dancing around it is not. 
No, it's not. And sometimes it can actually be cruel Yes. Um, when you do dance around it. And again, talking about intention and impact being aligned, I don't think that most people come at something intentionally cruelly, right? They don't want to be cruel and yet the impact could be cruel. Exactly. Or at least the impact would be harsh, even unknowingly. And so I think it's so important that we think holistically and again, bringing in people from the outside can often help culturally because it brings a certain level of objectivity. Also, I think that we need to be mindful of what exactly is the scope. So our firm takes a huge amount of risk. We're small and mighty. So that means we don't have right huge staff behind us. Yes, we have phenomenal people inside and even outside when we need to capture additional workforce. That being said, what we're doing has a lot of risk. It is not a simple practice of client comes in, we bill them by the hour, we collect every 30 days. And so there have been people that I have worked with in the past who say, oh yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Yes, I want to work with you. Yes. And I'm like, you do understand. Big firm culture, small firm culture, two very different things. Add to it, big firm culture with risk, small firm culture with risk, vastly different, vastly different. And I at times have worked very, very hard to share a lot of information to help everybody understand how the structure works. And I will tell you, Seagal, I have been counseled over the last four years. Sometimes all of that information is too much information to share because there are people on the team who are not able to receive it. They're not able to process it. They don't want to know it. They don't want to process it. They want to come to work, do their job and get paid. And that's fine. However, if you want to grow within the ranks of the firm and ultimately be an equity participant, then you really do have to understand and ascribe to what is the model. Because if you, if you can't ascribe to it, if your risk tolerance is not there, no judgment, that's okay. Just understand that that place, that position is probably not one that's going to be a good fit for you. And how do you communicate that? Historically... Sadly, we learned on the other side because we thought we had communicated all the things that needed to be known. And ultimately we learned that the people didn't have that tolerance and they left. And not because they woke up and said they didn't have the tolerance. It was because I think they either didn't understand it or didn't believe it, or I'm not really sure what. And that has put us in a position to say, okay, we have to be really mindful of how we grow the firm, really intentional about who are the people we're inviting to join us, sharing with them what we do, seeing how they're growing from one position to the next and being candid, having reviews, having reviews that go both ways. You know, what's working for you? How can I help? Right. What can we do to make this a better experience? Similarly, when somebody makes a mistake or doesn't do well, having the conversation and not dancing around it, having the conversation, you know, unfortunately, this did not go well. Can you tell us what happened? What do you think you can do better? How do you think we can solve for it now? 
instead of my saying how to do it. Right. Yeah. I like how you're putting it in their court and allowing them to be a participant in the trajectory of their growth. That's super important. So what does leadership in law mean to you? Leadership in law to me means really clear communication and collaboration. And that goes for your relationship with your clients who are paramount. They are the number one stakeholder, lest we forget. We should never forget that. And then also, of course, working with your team as well as with your adversary. I find being a real clear communicator and coming at things graciously tends to be much more favorable in terms of the results you're trying to achieve. Agreed. And I like how you brought the adversary in at the end there, because one of the things that has become a very common theme, at least in some of my interviews, is that civility is a very important part. And I think civility comes from proper communication. So I like that you're prioritizing that as well. What is something that other lawyers seem to misunderstand about the work that you do? I think that other lawyers misunderstand how we tackle projects. It's not the subject matter of what we do or the law that we tend to focus on. It's rather how we tackle projects. And I think that comes in part from the entrepreneurial side that we also bring. My being a business owner, separate and apart from a law firm owner and practicing lawyer, enables me to look at things in a task breakdown and mindful of return on investment. Every task has an ROI. And you should be looking at if the ROI is going to go down because you spend too much time on it, then you need to restructure how you're going to tackle that task. That's great. If there was one thing you could change about the legal industry, what would it be? It would be absolutely coming to a place of better communication. And you, Seagal, used the word civility. We learned a lot over the last few years because of how the world was turned upside down. And empathy was critical. When I say these words, empathy, communication, civility, I mean this for all stakeholders. And when I say all stakeholders, I mean lawyers on both sides of the V, clients, employees, judges, arbitrators, clerks. I could go on. One of the things that I am very focused on is that we are human beings. We are not machines. If we can't have a sense of empathy when somebody says, oh my gosh, this happened to me. Can I have an extra day? Or, oh my gosh, this has occurred. I can't get to the courthouse 3,000 miles away. I can absolutely participate by Zoom, but this is such a situation. I just can't do it. And getting a no, I don't know what world we're trying to build. Agreed. What is a piece of practical advice that you can give to our listeners? These are leaders and future leaders in law. Make sure that you understand the distinction between intention and impact. Identify what your goal is. And before you take the step out of the gate, think about how each step sequentially is going to impact others. Excellent. And so concisely put, too. You've already talked a lot in your gratitude about self-care. I'm going to try to get one more insight from you. What do you think is one of the most important self-care practices for you? Prayer. I start every single morning before I even take one foot out of the bed. It's the first thing that I do. 
I want to thank you so much for being on the show. If anyone wanted to reach out, learn more about what you do, what's the best way that they connect with you? Sure. It's Ariana Tadler at Tadler Law. My email address is atadler at tadlerlaw.com. If you go to our website, very easy, tadlerlaw.com, you can find out all sorts of information about me and as significantly our team. And you can also find out some more information about some of the other things that I do, including some of the entrepreneurial work I do, investor work I do. And now I'm very excited about doing keynote and public speaking work. And that is really growing. So lots more to come. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show. I, I actually didn't realize the direction that we would go in, and I have really learned so much. Well, you're very welcome. And next time, I hope that I can ask you a lot of questions about yourself <laughs> because I'm an avid learner, and it strikes me that you have much to share, Seagal. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that so much. Well, we'll definitely be in touch, and thanks again for being on the show. Sure thing. Thanks again. Thank you, leaders and future leaders, for listening today. We have a new guest every week, so don't forget to join us next week. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe or follow us anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also follow at Lawyers Who Lead on social. Let's celebrate and continue to build a community of leaders in law together. Lawyers Who Lead is made possible by Lawline, the leading online platform for lawyers who want engaging, relevant CLE and professional growth content. For over 20 years, Lawline has helped hundreds of thousands of attorneys level up by providing award-winning courses in hard-to-find areas and high-demand fields. They have so many courses to choose from that are actually really interesting to listen to and watch. That's why Lawline's rated the highest in the industry with over 1,000 verified reviews on Trustpilot. Lawyers who lead listeners get $100 off Lawline's unlimited annual subscription, which means you can take as many courses as you want for a really good price. Just visit lawline.com slash podcast to get the special offer. Check out Lawline for the best content for leaders and future leaders in legal.